since 1990. So 30 years. 30 years. Wow. Yes, so sir. You have a, a lot of uh, knowledge under your belt. I'll say that. I've seen, <laughs> you've seen a lot, a lot of things. Of, yeah. A lot of experience. <laughs> I don't know if you call it knowledge, but well, experience. knowledge, experience is this. You know, it's kind of intertwined. I believe that knowledge is experience <laughs> is knowledge, and knowledge is experience because you have seen uh, quite a few things. But have you seen anything like we're facing today? No, no. not in uh, my entire life, and uh, and it's this is this is this is the craziest that from an educator standpoint. This is the craziest that I have um, ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, everything going on. But, uh, you know, as you say that as an educator, um, they just announced, the president came out, I believe it was yesterday, and he wants to open the schools up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know there are a few universities that I had heard, heard of that were uh, pushing to go ahead and open back up. How do you feel about, about that? Well, okay. I feel that this, that, that safety needs to come first above all. Um, I mean, if, if, if it's unsafe to be opening up schools, uh, then by all means, no, we don't, we, we don't want to do that. Uh, but if it turns out we can get a vaccine, if it turns out we can get, uh, get this contained or controlled, then, then I, I see, I see the, the, the benefit of getting back into school. And I see the benefit of, of uh, getting students back in and getting back into some semblance of normalcy. Um, but again, like I said, if, if it's not safe, I, I don't think, I, I think we need to keep doing what we're doing. So at, at this point, you don't feel um, that, well, some feel that it's re re we're returning too soon and that we should at least push it back to late August um, mm -hmm. for some schools. Um, depending on what state mm -hmm. you're in and what uh, district they're in, and uh, but you feel just really if they have a viable plan, like for your classroom setup, you know, uh, obviously as a professor, it's a little different than primary school. Um, would you do things? How would you set that up? And in what way would you see yourself uh, kind of attacking that um, on a daily oh. basis? Okay. Um, we have one thing that I've got to say for Blaine College is they've been incredibly proactive. Uh, in regards to what we're going to do for the fall. Uh, we've all been working really hard to try to make sure that we've got uh, a theater season that is is going to adhere to the social distancing, that is going to um, uh, be able to be live streamed, uh, things along that lines. Um, so we are we've been we've been incredibly proactive and when it comes to the classroom uh we are right now look well we are uh going to have smaller classes and we are going to also be offering for instance a monday wednesday friday class the class will be oh. broken down into three sections where one group will meet on monday another group will yes. meet on wednesday another one friday i think y'all stole they, that from me brad because I, I think i mentioned that somewhere and it might have just been out there in the airways, but I did mention that uh, I believe that school, when school starts back, that they should break it up by grades as far as primary school. And they should go on, certain kids should go on certain days, and then certain kids should be homeschooled on, on the other days. That way it won't, yeah. you won't have so many in the building at the same time. But do right. you think that as far as social distancing is concerned with for those who are in school, Let's just take primary school. Let's take a younger age, high school and, and middle school and elementary. 
is it possible for to have social distancing for primary school? Do you think that's even possible? Well, I don't have a lot of experience with primary school, uh, but I am married to a primary school teacher. Uh, my wife teaches at Burton uh, ISD in Burton, Texas, and she teaches first grade. Um, she is she has concerns about being able to social social distancing the kids because at least in my in my work they're old enough to where we can say okay you need to stay social distancing apart from each other and things like that but little ones are all over the place and so yeah. that's going to be that she's she's mentioned to me that that's going to be very hard to try to to try to maintain yeah and that's what uh, i was kind of uh, alluding to or i believe that it's going to be extremely difficult for those uh, teachers in elementary school for sure to keep little jimmy from touching little bobby exactly and then once he touches yeah. him then what like oh he coughed on me and the whole over classroom starts coughing <laughs> there you go right? right so and then what happens if the teacher um becomes positive do you quarantine the entire classroom at that point and then they're home how does that work that's right yeah so and I, I know that a lot of i i know of some situations where a a a child went into a situation with a fever and of course this panicked everybody and so the um the the, the adult of these children for this for this uh uh for this event uh contacted the doctor and they were saying that uh they needed to be if it turns out this this girl is is uh, positive, then they need to be quarantined for 14 days. And see, I'm thinking to myself, okay, a kid comes to school, and he he or she is sick. What are you going to do? You're going to quarantine the whole class for 14 days? I mean, everyone stays home and then comes back. You know, that's I, I just see a lot of uh, a lot of questions, a yeah. lot of a lot of uh, scenarios would have to be answered. Yes, it's a lot of gray area uh, for sure, for sure. Yes. Um, for that. So. Now I want to move on to uh, your accomplishments. It, it says that you received the Texas Educational Theater Association Award in 2012. All right? Yes, tell, tell us a little bit about that and how, uh, how was that for you? Well, what I did is um, this really whole, – the whole playwriting situation started for me about 15 years ago. Um, I have a, uh, a co co-worker who is just a, a, a dear friend, and – he was the one that really encouraged me to, to get in and write. I had a student who was interested in writing, and so what I did is I sat down and helped him. And when we were done, we had a really good script. And he said, you know, he said, the, the, the input you put into this, you really need to be writing. You need to be submitting scripts. And so that's when that started. I started that. Okay. Uh, and then um, I wrote a play. It was three short one acts that you could put together and do as an evening or you could do them individually. And I submitted it to the Texas Educational Theater Association. Uh, they had, uh, well, they do have a playwriting competition. And at that time, it was a little bit different than the way it's structured today. But they uh, read my play and and I was awarded, yeah, 2012 for a, for a Texas resident. Okay, wonderful with that. Congratulations on that. And I- Thank you. You have five published plays, right? You have Minor Inconveniences, uh, Perfect Mother, Telltale Heart, The Boys from Houston Heights, and The Haunting House. 
Now, is the boys from Houston Heights, is that like a spinoff of a boys from the hood? What, what, what's that? <laughs> what, what we doing? <laughs> tell, tell us more about that one. <laughs> I want to know what, what's happening with that one. What's going on with that? What's that? Well, let about? me tell you, of, of all the things, I mean, I've worked on and and the one that uh, that I've got, had, um, the ones I've had published, um, boys from Houston Heights, I think is, I'm, I'm the proudest of. Uh, that was the first time. I ever really got out of my comfort zone as far as a writer. Before I was writing these cute little short things, and and I was it was was okay. But but what I had wanted to do for a long time, I wanted to write a play about uh, serial killer Dean Coral, who um, in 1973 in Houston, Texas, was the most prolific serial killer at that time. Uh, there were 27 bodies that were found hidden in the Houston area that he was responsible for the deaths of. Wow. And at that time, John Wayne Gacy came along a couple of years later and, and surpassed him. But at that time, he was the most prolific. That was the largest number of, of, of a serial killer had ever, uh, had ever accomplished. And so I always wanted to write a play about this. And so I was doing as much research as I could. I was trying to find things. I was trying to, to get information. And it kept taking me I mean, we're talking into the mind of a serial killer. So it kept taking me into some really dark places. And I had never researched or gotten involved in, in this. So finally, I, I threw caution to the wind and I told my wife, I said, don't look at the, uh, the history on our computer because I'm going to be looking at some dark stuff, okay? And uh, she said, cool. And so... But that's um, just your way of getting her off your computer. Come on, Brad. <laughs> it's just you and I, Brad. It's, it's, just, it's just two dudes talking, you know. Just not. <laughs> just not. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, I just wanted her to like all this says is haunted house, Brad, but this one says Yes. That is that is exactly right. No, no. Uh, but what I did is I wrote this um, I wrote this play and I originally started out as a short as a short uh, a one act. And I submitted it to a um, to a group that was doing that was doing short plays uh, in in Houston uh, as a as a performance, and one it turned out it wasn't it wasn't selected. But I did get a email from the group that was doing this and said, "Look, there's a monologue in here that we really like. We want to do a we want to do the monologue from it, kind of like in between the other the other plays." And so I was like, "You know, go for it." And at the time, it was just called Dean because it was about Dean Coral and 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 uh, and I had. I was really just focusing on the details of the murder. And I had the most incredible experience. I went to the performance to see it. And after the play was over, the gentleman that played the part, he did the, uh, um, oh, it was a, a one-man monologue. And so the one man, the, the, the actor that did that, cornered me and said, you know, he said, this story, this play that you've written isn't about Dean Coral. It's about the victims. And I thought, wow. He said, he said, you don't touch upon them at all. And he said, that right there needs to be the spine of your play. Mm -hmm. And he was absolutely right. So that's when I just threw myself into it, wrote that play. And, uh, and, and, and that's why it's called The Boys from Houston Heights. Yeah, because you want the, to. It's about the young men. Yeah, you want the audience to connect with them so that the story. Um, is their story is told, and also that the, the audience is drawn in with their 
um, compassion or love of loss for them and their family and the perpetrator story is, is told uh, within that not to glorify that that person so I, I totally understand that now with all the rest of the plays that you've written and uh, out of all of you said you like that one the most but what is your inspiration period just for writing is it just that because you got involved and you turned on the faucet you can't stop so but what is it that you know that uh, that inspires you or who inspires you to write well I'll tell you I've always really had a a uh, uh, an interest in the macabre uh, Halloween's my favorite holiday. I love I love creepy things, you know. I love creepy movies and scary movies, and so I've always had an interesting. I've always had an interest in that. I find myself not only interested in that, but I'm also very interested in things that really happen. Yeah. And when you get to dealing with some things, there are some stories out there that just haven't been told, and and yeah, they're gruesome, mm-hmm. but this is this is what happened. Um, since then, I've written uh, a play about Jeffrey Dahmer uh, that I'm. I'm that seeing I'm a, a real, yeah. I'm seeing a real theme here. You can stop right there because I see, <laughs> I see that things are very dark here. And they always say that a person that writes, I've heard this. I don't know if they say around the person that's actually the writer that's doing the the, the piece, but we've always heard that a person that does dark writing like this, or or tales like that, are dark have dark personalities and there's a hidden uh, compartment somewhere. <laughs> I probably do. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I've met uh, Bradley. He's a awesome guy. He's a very nice guy, very stand-up person. So it is, I am, uh, I'm in good company. So no one has to worry that he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's sitting back plotting, you know, but he, he does have a, uh, his plays are wonderful. His writing is great. Obviously he's a professor, so he's very um, intelligent. And uh, so I think we can learn a lot from seeing more of his work. Now, what do you have coming up? Do you have anything in the fire now? I know COVID has kind of stamped some, uh, mostly everything, but what do you have? Uh, you have anything in the works of your, uh, any contests or anything like that going on? Well, yes, actually, I've, I, I'm still submitting plays to, uh, to, to contests. I'm still submitting plays to readings. And uh, I'm a member of two uh, dramatist organizations. And so I'm staying busy with those, and and if they need things or if there's something that comes up, I'm I'm helping them out that way. Um, something I've just I've just finished, which again I'm I'm kind of proud of this. Um, I was I just finished a full length play about the uh, murder of uh, Ramon Navarro. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know who he was, but he was a silent film star, and he was like the major fi- silent film star in the 1920s and 30s. One of the one of the main ones. He was right there with Valentino. In fact, Valentino died, and he kind of took over Valentino's uh, place. Well, in 1968, this man was murdered, and the the story of it was was pretty gruesome. He he was taken um, um, male escorts. And there's a couple of male escorts came over and just beat him to death. And I thought, okay, you know, what's, you know, what's the story? So here I am, I'm researching, I'm going through and trying to find out, you know, details. And it finally dawned on me that the reason why this happened was because he was lonely. He did not have anyone to share the, the past with. And so that just set me off. Took I took off. I ended up writing. It started off as a ten-minute play, and then I ended up uh, expanding it into a um, into a two-act 
Okay. And I've just submitted that to some um, some reading um, uh, some reading contests and some some play contests. Okay, so for those out there listening, if we wanted to, uh, did you have the uh, opportunity to video any of your plays? Do you have that on any type of social media platform, or where can they go to read more about um, your plays or read more about you and and what you do? Sure, I don't um, have anything recorded, unfortunately, but I do have. Um, a blog that people can go to. It's Bradley Neese Playwright, all all together, all all lowercase. Bradley Neese Playwright at blogspot.com and, or gmail.com, and because uh, it's through my Gmail account, uh, they can go on there. I'm always updating information about plays. I'm always updating. I always put in. We always. I always do a discussion on something usually pretty morbid. But it it talks about something that's we're, going on. We we noticed. We noticed. <laughs> you, know, you know, I have a friend who calls me Bram Stoker. Yeah, that's a good name for you. That's a good he, name for you. He said Bram Stoker was supposed to be this really nice, really sweet guy, but he wrote things like Dracula. Yeah. You know, yeah. and 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 they said he goes, you know, you you are Bram Stoker. I yeah, I can you, see you doing your play where you you probably announced um, the play that you just mentioned. Um, uh, what's his name again? I'm sorry. The uh, the playwright you just said you oh, were doing. Ramon Navarro. Navarro. I, I can see you mentioning this to your wife that you're doing this play on Mr. Navarro and you're telling his story about him being alone. And she was like, she's probably thinking, great, he's doing something nice. And you're like, but he was bludgeoned to death. And she's like, oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I knew it was something. Yeah, I knew it was something. But you know, he was bludgeoned to death. So it was kind of gruesome. Yeah. So but. And so what what other social media platforms uh, can they uh, uh, look, they look for you that they can find you on? If they go to the Blend website, uh, www.blend.edu, um, you can go to the directory on there and go into theater arts, and you'll see what we're doing with our season uh, for this. Well, we're planning – well, it's not updated now, but, there, but we will be updated. Uh, what we do as far as our shows – uh, you'll see some pictures. I also put together for every show we do. I put together a study guide. People can download those and just see what what we do and what I'm about and and information on there. Um, they've just revamped our website a little bit, and I think if I'm not mistaken, I might have a bio out there. But I'm also on Facebook, so if anybody wants to check there as well, uh, that's under uh, uh, Bradley Nice. Uh, playwright. I'm. I'm got a. Uh, I've got a Facebook account. If anybody wants to check there, if they want to check my regular um, Facebook, that's at Brad Nice uh, Facebook. Uh, okay. So, so they can they can certainly do do that. Get okay. And you mentioned that you're you're in two uh, writing groups, right? Is that what you? Uh, yes. Yeah. And yes. what are the name of those? I am part of the Script Writers Houston. Uh, I love that organization. They have just they 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 enable they enable writers to have their their reading to have their their writings read and they get you get feedback and and some shows i've i've done i've had produced elsewhere because i did i i implemented that feedback and so this this organization has been instrumental in doing that uh that's script writers houston then we also have uh, i'm also a member of texas dramatist this is an organization that was really popular about 10 to 15 years ago, but it went defunct just because there wasn't anyone who was interested in keeping it going. Well, there's a professor at Tyler uh, Junior College named uh, Dr. David Crawford, and he said, no, this is not right. Texas Dramatist needs to be back, 
brought back to life. So he contacted me and he contacted a couple of other uh, uh, professors um, and said, hey, let's let's get this up and moving. So we are working right now at getting Texas Dramatists back out there. Uh, there is a Facebook page. Uh, if anybody has any questions, there's also a Facebook page for Scriptwriters Houston. If anyone has any questions, they can certainly go to Facebook, and I'm always checking both of those. So uh, if they say, hey, Brad Neese, I have a question, I'll be more than happy. I'm on the board for Scriptwriters Houston, so I might be able to answer your question. Uh, but, uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, those are, those are two, Scriptwriters right. Houston and Texas Dramatist. All right. Well, Bradley, we appreciate you your time today sharing with us uh, your work and sharing with us your thoughts on going to schools or opening back up. And we hope to see more of your work uh, quickly, as fast as we can in the future. All right, there you have it, Mr. Bradley Nice, the uh, Brad Brad Stoker is what we uh, is the name, right? Yeah. So, Mr. Bradley Nice, look him up on Facebook. I hope that you are uh, you have the pleasure of seeing one of his plays and enjoying his work. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you for this opportunity. No problem. Have a great day. You too.